0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study today chapter 6 from the first letter of Saint Paul to the Corinthians. As we said before, the church at Corinth had many problems and St. Paul dealt with the problem of division and contention among the believers in chapter 1, 2, 3 and 4 then he dealt with another problem which is is sexual immorality in chapter 5 and now chapter 6 St. Paul actually will deal with two problems number one going to court for settling cases and number two how we use our freedom in Christ St. Paul found that Christian brothers used to take their brothers to court, among the heathen, among the Gentiles, before the non-believers. So, in the first half of the chapter, from verse 1 to 11, He explained to them how wrong it is to take my brother to court, to be judged before the non-believers. Then the other part of the chapter he spoke about our freedom in Christ and how this freedom should not be opportunity for immorality. And he explained that our bodies belong to the Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So if our body belongs to the Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells in me, then I must glorify God in my body and in my spirit. So let's start reading verse by verse. Verse 1. There any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. There, Winston Paul said, dare any of you, as if he is saying, if you are taking, if you dare, and you take your brother to a court before the unbelievers, this means you are unloyal to your brother. So the word "there" here implies disloyalty against Christian brotherhood. And when he spoke about the non-believer, he used the word, unrighteous. Of course, I cannot accuse all the non believers as if they are unjust or unrighteous. Because many of them are just unrighteous. Why then St. Paul said and called the non-believers the unrighteous? Because the unbeliever will not use the law of God to make judgment. They will, not use, they will not use the law of God to make judgment. They may use civil law, for example. That's why St. Paul considered that any judgment not according to the law of God is considered unrighteousness any judgment not according to the law of God is considered unrighteousness. That's why we Christians, because we regard God as the only source of justice, that's why we should not take our brethren to courts to be judged according to any law other than the law of God that's why he called the non-believers the unrighteous and called the believer the saints when he said did any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints who are the saints the saints are the believers who decide and judge the smaller matter uh, of the world, according to the law of God, and also in a friendly manner, because all of us are members in the same body, the body of Christ. So, St. Paul actually exposed this mistake that in the Church of Corinth, people are taking one another before the unbeliever for judgment. Then he starts to give. Why this is considered wrong? He gave many reasons. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? St. Paul is referring to what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the twelve disciples, that you will be seated on twelve thrones, and you will judge the twelve tribes, of Israel. So, according to what's written in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41, and Matthew 19, verse 29, actually, we will be assisted to Christ in judging the world. So, St. Paul is saying, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, by the believers, Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So all the matters of our earthly life is considered nothing, are considered nothing if you compare them with the heavenly issues. So if we will judge the world with Christ in the Judgment Day, definitely, we can make judgment in the smallest matters pertaining to this world. Another reason, verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? So, Saint Paul is saying, you will not only judge people, but also you will judge angels. It's clear here, he Is speaking about the fallen angels, the bad angels, Satan and all his soldiers. As we read in the book of Jude or the epistle of Jude, that God kept the angels to the day of judgment. So the angels, the bad angels, the fallen angels will be judged. And how we judge them? Actually, by us believing in Christ and conducting righteous life, this in itself will be judgment to the fallen angels, who are spirits, not weak like us, but they couldn't keep their status, as they rebelled against God. So he's telling them, "Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things?" that pertain to this life. So, if we are going to judge angels, and if we are going to judge the world, then, when there is a matter here, actually we should judge in it instead of taking one another to the court. Verse 4. If then you have judgment, if there is an issue, and you need to take it to the court, Saint Paul is saying, instead of taking it to the court before the non-believers, what you need to do? If then you have judgment concerning things pertaining to this life. earthly three things. Do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? So, as if he is saying, appoint those who are least esteemed by the church judge and this will be better than taking your brother to judge him before the unbelievers another way to understand this verse as if he is saying who are least esteemed by the church who are not esteemed at all by the church the judgment of the non-believers, because they will not judge according to the law of God. So St. Paul actually is asking them a very important question. If you have a judgment, do you go to those non-believers who are least esteemed by the Church? They are not esteemed by the Church, not because of who they are, but because of the law that they will use because they are not going to use the law of God. So how do you go to those who are not steamed by the Church to make judgment? That's why many times the Church does not approve the judgment of the civil courts, like in the cases of divorce. Maybe. A civil court will divorce the couple, but the church does not approve this divorce. And it's really sad that many of us, when we don't like the judgment by the church, so we go to the civil court to get judgment according to what we want. As if we reject the ruling of God and we accept the ruling of men. That's why Saint Paul is asking them how come you do this? How come you go to court to be judged by the non-believers who will not use the the law of God to make judgment? That's why in verse 5 he said I say this to your shame. So. The last verse, verse 4, he mentioned to shame them, not as a rule. He's is not asking them to go and make those who uh, are less esteemed by the Church to make judgment. But he is embarrassing them, he is shaming them. How come you are doing this? But now, he is making the rule. Is it so? that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to between his brethren. St. Paul saying, if you are taking your brother to be judged before the non-believers, as if you are saying in our assembly of the believers, in our churches, we don't have one wise man to make judgment or to settle disputes among uh, the the brethren. But this implies that if we have judgment, we need actually to go to those who are wise and prudent and they are capable of settling differences among people. If then you have judgment, uh, I say this to shame you, Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and then before unbelievers. Saint Paul again said, it's very sad. It grieves my heart when I see a brother taking his brother to be judged before the unbelievers, and go to the law. Verse 7 Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. So, St. Paul is saying just the idea, the concept of taking your brother to the court to be judged by the unbelievers, this is utterly failure. It is not acceptable, it's not acceptable at all to take your brother, for the smallest matters of the earth, to take your brother to the court. And Saint Paul said, it is better for you to accept wrong, or." to let yourself be cheated, than taking your brother to a court. That's what he said in verse 7. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? So, it is a fault to go to law courts at all. It is not acceptable behavior from the Christian, to go to court, to take your brother to a court. So, if going just to the court is not acceptable, how much more when I go to a court before the non-believers? So, again, the, the concept of taking my brother to a court is not acceptable. If taking him to accord, if taking him to a court is not acceptable, how much more this will be never acceptable to take my brother to be judged before unbelievers. It's better to suffer wrong, it's better to suffer injustice than going to the law and injuring the peace of the church and uh, stirring, ill-feeling among the brethren. That's why he said, Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? That's it. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. So, instead of you accepting wrong and let yourself be cheated, Actually, you are doing the opposite. You do wrong. You harm your brother. And actually, you cheat your brother. And you do these things to your brethren. And actually, by doing this, we will not be the sweet aroma of Christ. The non-believers will not see our good works and glorify our heavenly Father. So, actually, when we are doing this, we are not setting a good example before the non believers This 9. do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So, St. Paul is saying, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, how come I'll take my brother to be judged before the unrighteous. And if I do wrong to my brother, and actually if I cheat my brother, then me myself, I am unrighteous. Maybe I can win some position or some money here on earth, but I will not win the eternal uh, inheritance. I will lose my eternal inheritance, because the unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, St. Paul is saying, if a settlement is required, we should refer the case, not to unbelieving judges, but to a wise man within the church. And actually, in, in, in our diocese, when there is a dispute between brethren, many, many times we make a committee from wise people who are godly, and also have experience in the issue at hand and will try to make the settlement uh, uh, in the Church instead of going to the courts, following the teaching of St. Paul. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse uh, 9 and 10, St. Paul mentioned a list. His list included many, many sins and St. Paul made it very clear that all people who commit such sins and will not repent, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, if God is commanding us to retain evil by good, to return the good for evil, so, if we become unrighteous to our brethren, and we do wrong to them, to hurt them, and also to cheat them, definitely we will be punished. And the person who is doing this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The church actually is the kingdom of God on earth. The church is the icon of heaven. So the church is the kingdom of God uh, on earth. And the faithful member of the church, who conduct their life in a godly way, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But those who do not conduct themselves in the right way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why he said, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived means what? Let no one make the mistake of thinking that any unrighteous man shall be an heir to the kingdom of heaven. No, don't let this thought settle in your heart. Don't accept the thought from Satan, because it is deception. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not only the unrighteous, but all the people mentioned in this list, the list of vices given in verse 9 and uh, 10 will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again the list includes the unrighteous, fornicators, idolaters, idolaters, those who worship the idols, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. Sodomites referring to the city of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the people in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, we're practicing homosexuality beside uh, other type of sexual immorality. So St. Paul is saying any sexual immorality committed by the people uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, those who commit such immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such will some of you. So St. Paul is giving hope. Some of the believers in the church of Corinth used to commit these bad sins, these bad vices. But actually they repented. And now they are faithful members in the assembly of Christ, in the assembly of the believers. So St. Paul is saying, maybe some of us committed such sins, but if we repent, then we will be accepted into the assembly of the believer. And such were some of you, which means that the believers in Quran, some of them used to practice such vices before their conversion. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. St. Paul is mentioning here three things. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. These three things, the washing, sanctification, justification, were done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. Washing, I'm sure it's very clear, referring to uh, to baptism. You are washed. So in baptism, actually, we are washed from our sins. We are born again, and our sins are washed. Like Hanania said to Paul, be baptized and wash your sins, and maybe when he heard Hanania telling him, be baptized and wash your sins. That's why he is using the same expression. But you were washed through baptism. You will sanctified. The word sanctification means consecrated. You are set apart to God. Belonging to God. And here he is referring to the confirmation. After baptism, you are anointed by the holy oil, Myrun. And by this anointment, you are consecrated to Christ. Like when we consecrate the altar, how we consecrate the altar? We anoint the altar with my rune. So when Aboula anoints me with my rune, as if he is sanctifying me, he is consecrating me, he is setting me apart for God. So when he says sanctification, he is referring to the second sacrament, which is that or confirmation. And in this sacrament, the Holy Spirit dwells in me and sanctifies me. And that's how I become sanctified. Means, now I am belonging to Christ. I am consecrated, dedicated for Christ. And the word to is the third word, word justified. You are justified. How we are justified? Justified means, my sins are blotted out, and now I am counted righteous before Christ. When I stand before Christ, Christ perceived me as righteous. How my sins are washed? We read in the letter of St. John, The blood of Jesus Christ purified me from every sin. Usually justification is done by the blood. So, the blood, in the Old Testament, is used to sprinkle the blood on the people, to purify them. So, now the blood of Jesus was sprinkled on me. How? Actually, is the third sacrament, which is communion. When I partake of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, I become justified. I am counted righteous before Christ. Because now, uh, the blood of Christ is on me, and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies me from every sin. So when He said, you were washed, that's baptism, sanctified, that's chrismation; and uh, justified, he referring here to communion. Our sins are forgiven, as we say in the Confession, given for us, for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life to those who partake of Him. And all these Work, justification, sanctification, and uh, washing are done are done in the name of by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, "In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord." So this part from verse one to eleven, Saint Paul discussed the issue of suing my brethren, for my brother, before uh, uh, the courts of the uh, unbelievers. And Saint Paul said, no, this is utterly fair, it's not right to take your brother to court in general, it's better to accept wrong, to accept injustice, than taking your brother. And, if you want to take your brother to a court, then actually, this has to be like a church court, And you need to appoint those who are wise in the church to center your differences, to center your disagreement. But you cannot go to the non-believers to make judgment. Why? Because we will judge the world. We will judge the bad angels. So if we are going to judge the world, how come we cannot judge the smallest matter of the earth? and how we allow the non-believers who are using a law different than the law of God to make judgment in our cases and in our differences. Then the second part from 12 to 20, St. Paul is speaking about their liberty and their freedom in Christ. When we speak, St. Paul speaks about the liberty and freedom in Christ, He's not speaking about things that are clearly right and wrong, good and evil. Because I cannot say, now all things are lawful to me. So is it lawful for me to sin? No. So, what is clearly bad and evil, I should abstain from this. But, but, but there are things are not clear or things that are indifferent. How can I make judgment? Saint Paul said you can use your liberty in Christ as a Christian in regarding uh, to things indifferent. But we need to have discretion. We need actually to distinguish between what is suitable for me and not. That's why he said, all things are lawful. And all things here again, does not include everything, even the bad and evil. But Saint Paul is saying, anything apart from the bad and evil are lawful. So all things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful. So, although is it is lawful, you need to ask yourself, is it helpful or not? For example, another issue we will address in the Church of Koran, eating meat over to idols. For some people, they can say nothing wrong it. Anyway. To eat such meat. Because all things are lawful. I don't believe in idols. There is nothing called idols. So all things are lawful. But is it helpful? Is it helpful? If I offend my brother, it's not helpful. If I will be under the control of this thing, then it's not helpful. For example, drinking wine is lawful. If it's not lawful, we cannot use it in the Divine Liturgy. But is it helpful? When I drink wine, I will fall into slavery, and I will become under the control of wine. Then actually, this will not be helpful. So here I have to decide, although it is lawful, should, as Christian, do it or not, if it's not helpful, it's better not to do. That's what St. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of Him. I will not be brought under the power of Him. Many times, actually, we deceive ourselves. For example, in drinking, we say, I will drink, but I will never be alcoholic. I will never be under the control of alcohol. And I want to ask a question here. Do you think that the alcoholic, when they started drinking, they had a goal to be alcoholic in two or three years? Definitely not. So when they start drinking, they said, I will never be alcoholic. But now the end of the alcohol. So do not be deceived. Be humble. Don't be prideful. Don't say, no, I can't. It's better to be humble and to acknowledge your weakness and to say, no, I will abstain from this because maybe I will be under the power or under the control of these things. So St. Paul is saying, although all things are lawful, but all things are not helpful for Christian must not be brought under the power of anything, of any appetite. Because if you are under the control of any habit, then you lost your freedom, you lost your liberty in Christ, you are now a servant or a slave of the sin. And after Christ has set you free, now you are a slave for this sin. Though all things are in our power, but we must not be brought under their power." Some people were applying this about eating. So they want to justify eating. So they said, verse 13, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. It refers to the stomach, then for the food. So some people try to uh, say, if I like to eat, nothing wrong with this. Because food for the stomach, and the stomach for the food. And when we die actually, the food and the stomach both will be destroyed. And if, even if we accept this, although if I became enslaved to gluttony and just the love of eating, this will be sin, because now I am enslaved to a bad habit. But some people were using the same concept about the body. So they are saying, as the food is for the stomach, then the body is for sex. As God planted in us the desire to uh, eat, God planted in us the sexual desire. So as we eat, there's nothing wrong actually to practice uh, sexual activity. Because the food is for the stomach and the stomach is for the food, in the same way the body is for the sex. But St. Paul said, no. Even if I agree with you, that food for the stomach, that's what St. Paul is saying, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both it, the stomach, and them, then the body is not for sexual immorality. So, he did not say, body is not for sex, because sex is acceptable and honor within the boundaries of the sacramental marriage. But outside this, it's called sexual immorality. And he made it very clear, you cannot say, body is made for sexual immorality. So he said, now the body is not for sexual immorality. The body is created for the Lord, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So. Even if self-indulgence, eating, was executed, but uh, if we are going to speak about the body, body is not for fornication. That's what St. policy. And he made it very clear, body is made for the Lord, to glorify God in our body. He created us for himself. And he started to give uh, reasons Justification. Why our bodies are for the Lord and not for sensuality? Why it is wrong to assume that our bodies are for sensuality? And unfortunately, this thought is spreading right now. Many many people, especially the young adults, they say, you know, God is the one who planted in us his sexual desire. What's uh, wrong in, in, in practicing and being active sexually? and even they don't call it fornication or sexual immorality, they call it premarital sex. So just, God, as as I have the stomach and I eat, I have the sexual instinct, so uh, let me practice this. St. Paul is giving many reasons why this is completely wrong. Number one, because our bodies are for the Lord, and the Lord are for the body. Verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So he's saying, do you want an evidence to know that your body is for the Lord? Why God raised the Lord Jesus Christ physically by his body? Because as Jesus Christ rose from the dead by his body, also our bodies will be raised and our bodies will inherit the kingdom of God. Not only our spirit will inherit the kingdom of God, but also we believe in the resurrection of the bodies, and the bodies will inherit the kingdom of God. God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. So if the body is for sexual immorality, then actually Maybe God should destroy the body, as He destroyed the stomach and the food. But the body will be raised in a, a spiritual, glorified manner, in order to glorify God in heaven. In heaven there is no food, we will not eat, that's why the stomach will be destroyed. But the body will be raised, so the body is not for sexual immorality our bodies are part of the Christ mystical body. Verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So your body is a member, are members in the body of Christ. So we are parts in the mystical body of Christ. I usually say, before baptism I am individual, and after baptism, I joined the body of Christ, so now I am a member. A member from a whole, the body of Christ. So, my body is part, is organ, is member in the body of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the Harlot? Certainly not. My body is part of the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit dwells in my body when a person claims with a heart of it, he becomes one with the heart but this body is the body is part of the Christ member in Christ so as if I am making the members of Christ members of a heart I am making the members of Christ one with a heart And Saint Paul is asking us a very serious question. Shall I then take the members of Christ, which is my body, and make them members of the harlot? Certainly not. How for them to take a member of Christ's body and degrade it to fornication by joining this body with the body of the harlot? do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? In sexual immorality, the person becomes joined with the harlot, and the two shall become one, as St. Paul said, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So if a believer committed adultery or sexual immorality, as if he is taking the members of Christ, which is his body. And joining them to a heart. So, as if I am making the body of Christ or the members of Christ members of a heart. So, if we understand that our bodies are members of the body of Christ, we should keep this body pure. Because keeping my body pure means I am actually glorifying the body of Christ, I'm keeping the body of Christ pure. Uh, I cannot be one with a harlot and at the same time one with Christ at the same time. You cannot do this. A person cannot be one with a harlot and at the same time united by the Spirit with God. That's why he said verse 17 but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So, in baptism and chrismation, we are one spirit with the Lord. Once I join with the harlot, actually I separate myself from the Lord. The person cannot be with the harlot and Christ at the same time simultaneously. So if a person chooses to be one with the harlot, he separates himself from the body of Christ. and he is using the word, the two shall become one, from Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. That's why we should understand that the bodies are not for sexual immorality. What should we do? Verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. The only way is to avoid temptation. The only way to flee sexual immorality is to avoid temptation and to sanctify my desires. To run away, like Joseph did, when Joseph said, How come, how come I will commit this great wickedness and sin against God? And he ran away. He preferred to be in prison rather than defiling his body. Do you have the same courage and persistence? are we willing to be imprisoned, rather than defying our bodies? Free sexual immorality. Another reason why we should free sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So, it defies my body. Any other sin, it's outside the body. It's outside the body. But when a person commits sexual immorality, he sins against himself. And actually, this is very clear in the sexual uh, transmitted diseases. It's very clear how a person defining his body, not only spiritually, but maybe physically, when he contact, uh, uh, when he falls in sexual immorality, he may contact some sexual uh, transmitted diseases. So fornication in particular is a sin against the body. It defiles this sin, it defiles the body, which was intended and designed to be a member of Christ, a temple for the Holy Spirit, like a church dwelling place for God. That's why in verse 19 he said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So you see, your body is like the Church. Your body is consecrated and dedicated to God. And the Holy Spirit dwells in the Church of God, The Holy Spirit dwells in you, so you are a church, you are a temple, of the Holy Spirit, who is in you. Is in you, He is within you. We usually say, God is above us, that's God the Father, God with us, Emmanuel, the the, the Son, and God within us, that's the Holy Spirit. St. Paul says, who is in you, whom you have from God you receive the Holy Spirit in the Sacrament of Chrismation. You receive this from God as the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Another reason, and you are not your own. Another reason, you don't own yourself. Why you don't own yourself? Because Christ purchased you. If you own yourself, maybe you can have the right to uh, your own pleasure, but don't forget that you are purchased with a price. As he said in verse 20, for you were bought at a price. God paid the price. What was the price? His precious blood. He shed his blood to purchase me, to set me free. So now I am not my own. My body is not mine, it is the body of Christ. I am not free to defy my body. I am not free to use my body as I want. But actually, I have to glorify God in my body. For you were born and a price. Therefore, if you understand that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, therefore glorify God, not only in your spirit, but glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, it is in fact, God purchased us. We are part of His spiritual temple. That's why it is a must for us to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits. When we fast, when we kneel down, when we raise our hands in prayer, when we go to church, when we go and help the poor, when we do visitation, when we prostrate before God. All these things that we do with our body, that's how help glorify God in our bodies. So as I said, in this chapter, St. Paul discussed two important points. Number one, it is utterly failure for a brother to take his brother to a court, specially before the non-believers. And the second part, don't say, all things are lawful for me. And by saying this, you are saying then I can use my body uh, and I can become sexually active. No. Your body is for the Lord and Lord is for the body. That's why we need to free sexual immorality and to glorify God, not only in our spirits, but also in our bodies, because our bodies also will be raised in the last day as the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. belong be to God forever and ever. There many the comments or questions.